top, talking to the big wigs in marketing and advertising. We want to flip the story and start at the bottom. In this podcast, we're talking to the brilliant creative minds who are shaping the future of our industry. We're talking to the junior mafia in Adland. Hello and welcome to the Junior Mafia. I'm Dom Hickey. And I'm Jade Hickey. Today we're talking to Rosie Gearside. Rosie is currently an art director at VML YNR. She's a brilliant illustrator with a background in design. Rosie is also a proud member of the LGBTQ plus community, so we're looking forward to a good chat about where the industry is getting it wrong and hopefully in some places right. Welcome, Rosie. We're so glad to have you on board today. Hello. Good day. Welcome aboard, <laughs> Rosie. Thank you. Uh, so you're an art director at VML YNR, but you also have a really strong background in graphic design and illustration, and uh, we've had a look at some of your illustrations, and they're pretty amazing. Thank you. How often do you get to use that skill uh, at work? Well, not as much as I'd like to, but I am pretty lucky that I get to utilise uh, some of my little extra bits and skill sets often, especially because uh, our design team's a little bit lean at the lean, moment, very lean, which means I've become a bit of a hybrid <laughs> of sorts. Um, but I suppose my creative process is always a lot about playing and experimenting, so I'm always drawing always kind of mocking shit up. Yeah. Like I have my uh, background is in retouching. So before I was an art director, I worked as a retoucher. So Photoshop is where I kind of feel most comfortable. So before I've even started thinking about things, I'm like drawing stuff on the brief and Mm. hanging out in Photoshop and all that kind of jazz. Love that, Rosie. So what's (laughs) the best campaign you've seen recently? Um. So I think one of my favourite ones that I've seen recently was a campaign from New Zealand for a telco called Skinny, like one of those little telcos, and it's called um, Friendvertising. I don't know if you guys have seen that. No. Can you explain it for anyone who hasn't? Um, so essentially the insight being that word of mouth is the most uh, successful form of advertising, and New Zealand's pretty small and everyone knows each other. So the idea was that they were going to create so many ads with so many different people that the chances are that you would see someone you know. So they ended up making like a hundred different of the same ad but with different people, a hundred different executions, and they were really funny. Um, And like real people from throughout New Zealand. Real people, yeah. Love that. That's great. Um, And they did in a whole bunch of different languages and they're all really really cute, very Kiwi in their kind of like uh, goofy kind of humour. Um, yeah, loved that. I just thought it was such a good insight. And, you know, I think there's a lot of awesome shit coming out of New Zealand. Mm. Always, all the time. I think that they're the leaders, really. They nail humour, like anyone else. They do punch above their weight for country size in terms of the output from the agency. Totally. Yeah. 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 So I love that one. Go check it out if you have a Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Put it up on the website, which we keep saying we're going to develop. <laughs> <laughs> it's under, it's under, it's, it's, a, a it's a work in progress. It's a whip. <laughs> it's a work in progress. To come, coming soon yeah. to the website. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, it, I mean, it would be nice to see more ads using illustration as part of it. And I'm wondering if we're going to see a little bit of that uh, off the back of COVID with uh, people being a bit more restricted in how they can shoot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think people have had to get really creative this year unable to shoot. I mean, mm. one of my favourite photographers in the industry, um, Yuli, one of my favourite photographers uh, in the industry at the moment, Yuli Bala, um, she did this awesome, she does a lot of fashion, 
Um, but she also does um, a lot of like, uh, you know, classic advertising, editorial. She started to do motion. Um, but she did this awesome um, uh, fashion campaign. I can't actually remember who it's for. It might have just been a personal work. But during COVID, they couldn't get models. So she did these like beautiful shots of just garments hanging on um, coat hangers mm. in like really, really amazing locations. And they looked so good. And I just think that that's really interesting, like yeah. creative ways people are, you know, choosing to not use talent, and they have to this yeah. year, right? Yeah. Um, and I think you're right, like illustration. Um, I think we've de- we've definitely done a lot of illustration. Mm. Um, I don't know if you know, Jay, but we've done a lot of illustration in the last year Yeah. anyway for a lot of our brands. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we last had a chat, it was just after Mardi Gras. I think it was a week after Mardi Gras, and we had a pretty good conversation about the rise of pinkwashing, uh, not only in what we're seeing sort of in broader society but also what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, and you had a pretty strong point of view of whether we're getting it right or wrong. Yes. Um, <laughs> maybe give us – tell us a bit about what you what you saw this year in particular and, and what really stood out for you in, in, terms of, in terms of how we're actually tackling that conversation. Yeah. Um, see, that, yeah, I think that you guys asked me, are we getting it right, are we getting it wrong? And yeah. That and it's like it's really hard because it isn't that black and white and it never is. Mm. It's a lot more complicated than that. Um, but I think that like with any political advertising, um, and you see it particularly when Mardi Gras rolls around every March, a lot of the time, more often than not, it comes across a little bit tone deaf. Like it's mm. a very much a, a fine line. And I think that this year and previous years, a lot of brands are getting it wrong. It's it's hard because like it's it's very much the safe political thing to attach yourself to, I think, for brands at the moment to attach yourself to the gay agenda or uh, Mardi Gras or Pride. So it feels like you're ticking the diversity box without getting totally. too risky in what you're doing. Yeah. Mm. I think that people like customers are kind of expecting it from brands and because it's not really having a controversial opinion, it's just slapping a you know rainbow on your logo or mm, something yeah. like that or tweeting about love is love or whatever else. A lot of brands are kind of drawn to it. I think a lot of brands uh, think that Mardi Gras and Pride is a really good place to kind of put their political mm-hmm. voice. Slap a progressive sticker on it and totally it. yeah. Because it's, it's not a very controversial stance to take. You know, you film a couple of uh, video spots with, you know, gorgeous drag queens and have a little upbeat dance track and you add some glitter and some rainbows, which are all, you know, very mm. much valid forms of expression for the queer community. But really that's such a kind of vapid and easy way to sort of tick that social mm-hmm. conscience box. Yeah. And... It's kind of gotten to the point where people are ex- brands are expected to do it. Like yeah. we've sort of reached this point where, like, a you know, a Arnott's biscuits or like a deodorant brand or like a I don't know mm. whatever else is expected to kind of tweet about inclusion and the queer community mm. every year yeah. when Mardi Gras rolls around and. I mean, in some respects, it's kind of, I mean, it's a good thing that there's a, you know, representation is a form of acceptance for sure. But I think a lot of the time it's sort of done in a bit of a half-assed 
kind of, like you just said, Dom, like ticking the box kind yeah. of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask the question, what's wrong with that when brands do get involved? Because I think, and you just sort of said it then, the more that uh, we represent different communities, the more included they are and the more it normalises the more it normalizes things and success is really when something is normal and we we don't even notice it so i think there's sort of a there's a plus side to even tokenistic advertising yeah but that doesn't take into account how you actually feel if that's the community that you're in um and so it would be interesting to hear a little bit more about how it does make you feel when there is this tokenistic jumping on board and you feel like it's disingenuous or it's not coming from a brand who's really made a meaningful contribution to the to the community. Yeah, totally. I think that a lot of the time it's not just about like showing support but actually giving support. Mm. 99% of the time it's it all comes from a good place sure, but it's not necessarily making a difference. And I know that, you know, not all advertising lives to make a difference, but I think brands need to acknowledge the fact that they capitalise so much on queer culture this time of year. Yeah. You know, they draw in a crowd. They, um, they're kind of given themselves this. People see them in a different light because mm. they're, you know, they're fun and they're inclusive. Um, and I think that people really or brands really need to try and, you know, put their money where their mouth is a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. I don't think all advertising exists to make a difference, but I think if you start to lean into something with a purpose, then you need to make it more than vapid lip service. I think that's yeah. what brands actually do need to step up rather than be quite empty in that because I think that there's there's as much of a backlash against that as there are against brands that have no purpose. Yeah. I heard about... um I won't say the brand, but um, a friend who's a strategist of mine was given a brief for a new brand which is meant to be, like, progressive and all of these different values. And she came back and said that one of the core segments that they should be targeting was the LGBTQT plus community, and they gave the brief back and um, asked her to just take it off and didn't give her a reason. And she said to the project manager, she was like, I have to, like, can you please go back and ask them why because I need to push for it. I have all the reasoning why yeah. we should be going for them as a segment. And the client was just like, oh, no, nah, it doesn't, doesn't feel right. You know, they couldn't give a concrete answer. And I feel like they're trying to say that they're a progressive brand and they're, they're probably one, well, one of those people who changed their logos to rainbow or whatever. And then suddenly when they're trying to back it up, they're like, oh, I don't actually want to be associated with that and I don't actually want to help these people. And that's where there's a problem. Mm. I think there's a, there's a risk for brands mm. with what they get involved in. And mm. brands, I think, when they do weigh into a social issue, need to be committed to not changing it based on something that happens Mm. post that like Maltesers is a really good example of a brand that's done a lot of work um with the disabled community um and they had a huge amount of backlash for some of the stuff that they did around the olympics in the uk and off the back of that they actually doubled down on the ads that they were doing and made some that were even more pointy and a little bit more controversial and created even more of a reaction which i think Mm -hmm. is exactly the right response for the brand, whereas I think there have been other cases where brands have dipped their toe in something 
created some representation around a community, had a bit of backlash and pulled out. And I mm. think that's the worst response a brand can make. Yeah. So is there an example, Rosie, of work that you've seen that does it well? Or what have you seen, what have you seen brands be doing typically that you think are doing it not particularly well? Yeah. I mean, I think we kind of touched on this already, but like the go-to is really um, utilising the rainbow, you mm. know, um, tweeting about, um, love is love and mm. we're all, you know, we should all be accepted no matter what. You know, they love that kind of the royal we. If I'm totally honest, there's not really, it's not m- really many kind of Mardi Gras campaigns that stand out as, you know, particularly great mm. for me. And I know I'm I'm quite biased because, I mean, I'm biased and I'm cynical. <laughs> um, but I think the main thing that, I struggle with when, you know, Pride and Mardi Gras roll around is that you see these campaigns and, you know, you see these videos and you see these posts and it's it's really obvious to me that they're not kind of made by queer voices. Yeah. It's really obvious to me that, um, I mean, advertising is very much a white boy's game, so it's very (laughs) (laughs) probably heterosexual white boy's game. So it's very obvious to me that they're, they're not kind of including the queer creative creative kind of mm-hmm. yeah um, they're not including queer creative voices and they're not made by queer people um, and I think that it's pretty rare where they'll get that right. I think that there's a few instances where I've seen um, brands that have kind of used queer artists you know I do like to see you know, for example, you know, A and Z, they don't do everything right, of course, but at least in their videos they use a lot of, like, you know, they use queer dancers and they interview mm. real queer people. Mm. Um, at least they're kind of giving their platform to those, you know, mm. queer people. Yeah. Um, and I think that a lot of brands could learn from that. Mm-hmm. They're also a good example of a brand that's really put their money where their mouth is in terms of yeah. the things that they're doing that people don't see. So while they do have some fame campaigns that I think have gotten them very well known within the industry, outside the industry they are actually doing quite a bit in terms of charity work and support and internal policies. And mm. So it does feel like they're, they've got a little bit more skin in the game than um, some of the other other brands that, that play in that space. Yeah, absolutely. And it does, like, it irks me to see, um, you know, huge um, telcos, banks, whatever else, um, taking up the most space at the Mardi Gras mm. parade. I mean, it's evolved a lot in the last 40 years from where it was, but um, it has become a bit of a, like, cash cow. Mm. Um, and I think that that is not just due, due to the due to the brands but also the Mardi Gras as a business. Like it's yeah. it's become like um, there's rainbow capitalism but there's there's also rainbow tourism. You know, it's become one of the biggest tourist events in Australia. Yeah. yeah. Um, a Sydney is um, next to San Francisco is one of the gayest ki- cities in the world. Yeah. Um, and so it becomes, you know, it becomes essential for brands to yeah. kind of attach themselves to it because yeah. it's more than just um, you know it's more than just advertising. It's also about um, actual people coming from overseas to actually witness your brand and 
Yeah. It's kind of like that yeah. global recognition that you can't really get from anything else. I mean, the event has become big enough that it is now a, a proper media opportunity for brands. Yeah. I mean, this year's parade at the SCG came with a side of protests. How did you feel about the way that the event was handled this year and the way that it had evolved from previous years? Yeah, well, this year was the first uh, year of Mardi Gras where it was a ticketed event. So previously it's, um, you know, free for anyone in the community Mm. or allies Mm -hmm. outside of the community to come along and watch um, or march. And uh, this is the first time that it actually you had to pay to be there, which, you know, in itself is a little bit heartbreaking. I know that, you know, COVID meant that yeah we couldn't have it, you know, out on the streets, sure, um, but also the fact that uh, brands were paying shitloads of money to be there and, you know, minorities who often, you know, when you have an event that's ticketed like that, it means that, only the wealthy, usually only the white um, members of the queer community, the ones that are able to get involved. Mm. And that's pretty sad considering the history that Mardi Gras has, which, you know, started as a protest. Mm. Um, so when I see, you know, protests being um, organised around the ticketed event, and they, it was business was, wasn't the first year that there were protests about Mardi Gras and kind of what it's evolved into, mm. Um, yeah, I have to be honest and say I support that, you know. Um, there's still a lot, long way to go for, um, people in the queer community, um, particularly when it comes to mental health and sexual violence, like, you know, um, trans women of colour are 20 times more likely to be sexually abused than any other woman in Australia. So, um, so it's an alarming stat. There's obviously a lot of work to be done. Where do you see Mardi Gras evolving to? Or where would you like to see it evolve yeah. to? I think that um, so every year uh, Mardi Gras begins with Fair Day um, and then ends with the parade. And the yeah. parade is, you know, the focus for many brands. Mm-hmm. Um, it's televised. It's enormous, right? So much money goes into it. Um Fair Day, I guess, there are a lot of brands present and so that's held in Victoria Park Mm. near Sydney Uni Mm -hmm. at the start of Mardi Gras. But it's mostly community groups and it's it's mostly, you know, there's the Dykes on Bikes and um, there's, you know, the Gay Choir Association and then there's the Indigenous uh, Queer Youths, Mm. um, you know, organisations like Black Rainbow and that, that feels like more of the soul of Mardi Gras to me. Yeah, um, that feels a bit more grassroots. And... Yeah, and, you know, I, I would like to see Mardi Gras kind of return to that a little bit more. Yeah. I would I would like to see, you know, brands kind of taking a step down from having the biggest, fanciest fuck-off floats yeah. in the actual <laughs> parade and, you know, giving that space to, um, you know, veteran um, queers who, you know, have been yeah. around since the beginning of Mardi Gras. Mm. Or spending that money differently. Or spending that money differently, yeah, absolutely. Firstly, I'm going to ask you a question which is a bit of a silly one, but is it LGBTIQ or there's a few different versions of that coming around. The alphabet and soup. Yeah. The alphabet soup. <laughs> and, or you were saying queer community. What's the what's the preference and, and how do you feel like, how do you feel we're doing 
So we've talked about how brands are doing. How do you feel like we're doing in the in the advertising industry? I see. I just say queer community because it. I fit into you know some of those categories. Um, a lot of my friends fit in fit, fit into a few more of those mm-hmm. letters. Um, queer, I suppose, has a bit of history in um, a, as a slur, and it's kind of been reclaimed yeah. by uh, the community a bit. I mean. I do not speak for everyone because I know that there are some people who still don't feel comfortable saying it, but that's how I, um, you know, identify myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're doing fine with the alphabet soup, LGBTQIA+. <laughs> yep. It just, we can just keep going. Yep. Um, but there's so many, you know, so many different ways of identifying yourself and expressing yourself. It, so I feel like queer is a really lovely kind of powerful umbrella term. So mm. that's what I use anyway. Yeah. Nice. Um, second part of the question. The second part of the question was uh, we talked a bit about brands and how we think brands are faring in Mardi Gras. How inclusive do you think the advertising industry is? Yeah. Look, I I think that my experience is definitely going to be different to others. Mm. I, I'm pretty lucky, lucky in terms of I, I don't have to, you know, spend every single day um, worried about how I'm perceived or worried about um, how I'm read. I'm, you know, straight passing um, queer person and I'm white, so I'm very lucky in that sense. I think that, like, a lot of um, other people would have uh, a lot more difficulty in the industry, for sure. It's uh, very much is a tr- kind of heteros- heteronormative white mm. industry still, and, yeah, it's changing all the time. But yeah. I know that it can be, it would be a lot more difficult for others definitely I have friends who are in advertising who find it a lot harder than I do um because on face value you know people are perceived or assumed to be straight that's just the way it is and people are assumed to be male or female Mm. and if you kind of don't fit into that assumption then it starts to get a little bit awkward Mm. not just for you but for the other people in your industry and people don't yeah. like to be made feel, to feel uncomfortable yeah <laughs> I mean, that was a, that was a great answer I feel like we could uh I think there's a lot more that we haven't talked about but uh and I also feel like we could talk about this for hours but we are going to move on because I yes. think otherwise we will be here for hours <laughs> and there's a little bit of a little yeah, size well, of our podcast there's anything else um so we do have one last question for you which is sort of bringing it back to the industry yes my favorite question and I get to ask every week what's the best piece of advice that you've been given since you entered the industry best piece of advice mm, um, load it on give someone credit if they gave it to you if well it came from yourself give yourself a shout yeah <laughs> this is probably not good advice because I definitely went against it but um, I like it. <laughs> but first one I, that comes to mind is from my father, who was very briefly an art director before he went back to be an artist and an illustrator, mm. probably a little bit jaded by the industry. Uh, he said, don't fucking go into advertising, is what he said. <laughs> and, I did it anyway. <laughs> and I did it anyway. Fair advice. But um, another one that my uh, copywriter and creative partner and uh, work wife Tutsky says to me mm. on the daily is uh it's just ads it's yeah. not brain surgery like it's not you know rocket science mm-hmm. it's just ads so just take a deep breath chill out have no some one's fun. gonna die it's yeah you know it's it's just ads and I think that uh especially when you're young in the industry you tend to get kind of caught up in 
the um, energy of the kind of industry, right? Mm-hmm. You get you get worked worked very very hard, mm-hmm. and you get very very stressed out. You know, churning out pictures and working late nights and whatever mm-hmm. else. And you just have to remember that it's meant to be fun. I think that actually the best stuff comes from having fun. Yeah, it's just ads. Mm-hmm. No one actually cares. <laughs> That's fantastic advice. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, no one actually cares is a little bit depressing, but it's actually very <laughs> true in terms of how much attention people pay towards ads. Yeah, and I think the industry can get very intense, but also very fun. So you got to make sure you're on the fun side. Yeah, yeah, not the intense side. I think that was really great advice. Just a massive thank you for for sharing so openly some of the stuff that we've talked about today. And it was really, really good to have you on the podcast. You're brilliant. Thank you. (laughs) Thank Thank you you for having me. Thank you very much.